Working on that? Oh, yeah. Oh, there it is. I'm, okay, hi. Let me do a quick version of that. I'm so happy to see all of you. We're here in person, and it's wonderful, very energizing. My name is Marissa Burgermaster. I'm a faculty member at the University of Texas at Austin, and I am um, currently a member of the board of directors of the Society for Nutrition, Education, and Behavior. This is actually my last event as a member of the board of directors, and ironically, the very first one that I've done in person. So I'm happy to see all of you. If you have any questions about SNEB, please feel free to ask me. I am very happy to have the opportunity and privilege of moderating this session, exploring research on novel approaches to e-nutrition education interventions. We've got four fantastic speakers. We are really representing Texas today. So um, I'm sure we're all very happy to be out of the extreme heat for a couple days. Um, and I'm gonna go ahead and just remind the audience of a couple housekeeping things. We are going to hold questions until the end. I'll invite all the presenters to come up to the front at the conclusion um, so that we can um, ask some questions across all of the e-nutrition education interventions. And um, I think that's all that I have for the audience. I've already spoken with all of you. So without further ado, I will introduce our first speaker who is Kelsey Baez from Texas State University. Hello everyone, thank you. My name is Kelsey Baez. I am a Texas State University dietetic intern and I just recently completed my master's there. And today I'll be talking to you about a collaboration that Texas State had with Texas WIC, which explored the delivery of nutrition information through the Texas WIC chatbot, Maya. <clears throat> so the WIC program, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, is a federal nutrition program that focuses on the nutrition importance and access for eligible participants to be able to prevent nutrition-related problems. It serves women, infants, and children up to the age of five, and <clears throat> excuse me, and a mandatory component of it is nutrition education. Now, while this nutrition education um, can vary, a priority area is uh, infant feeding practices, which would include breastfeeding, formula feeding, and uh, introducing first foods, complementary feeding. Um, okay. So, um, a little background. The WIC program has seen a steady decline in participation, and with the decline in participation, uh, it has been promoted for modernization of WIC. Now, part of the modernization of WIC is uh, tech innovations. Some innovations that have been implemented in WIC include the uh, uh, messaging systems, it's online uh, classes for some, some states, and uh, developments of uh, mobile apps are some examples. Uh, Texas WIC developed the first ever WIC chatbot, which again we call Maya. And um, <clears throat> with Maya, she is a software-based chatbot, which means that whenever a user interacts with Maya and asks a question, 
the user will receive a pre-programmed response that was um, developed. So, um, <clears throat> excuse me. The development of Maya was, uh, it positioned users as the experts in the development of the chatbot. So that's everything from concept ideation to the development and also the evaluation. In evaluations of Maya, uh, how she performed during frequently asked questions, we found that participant WIC clients were using her to seek some nutrition information. That nutrition information included breastfeeding, infant formula feeding, and um, some complementary feeding. So um, that led us to explore whether uh, Maya would be able to provide nutrition information if that was something that the what clients were interested in, and if so, what are those expectations? So a little bit about our research team. This was a collaboration between Texas WIC and Texas State University. We had over three registered dietitians on our, on our team. Four uh, graduate students, we all concentrated in uh, nutrition. Ed, uh, uh, in nutrition. Uh, we have former nutrition, uh, WIC nutritionists, uh, several of us are multilingual, and uh, me personally, I have two children under the age of five. So a little about our study design. So um, as I mentioned, we identified the topics, which were the infant feeding practices, breastfeeding, infant formula, uh, uh, formula feeding, and complementary feeding. And um, we used a combined theoretical framework that pulled uh, behavioral and technology models to influence the development of a semi-structured uh, qualitative interview guide, which was used to uh, host interviews on the Zoom platform, which uh, were audio and visual, visually recorded and then transcribed. Those, uh, those transcriptions were then used to do a multi-pass two-coder qualitative uh, evaluation, a two-coder system, excuse me. And um, we also included mem memos of uh, incidents that occurred throughout those, uh, throughout those transcripts. So from there, we took those codes and those memos and we condensed them a lot <laughs> and um, were able to arise with some themes which this is part of that process. <laughs> and uh, for recruitment, we, had, we recruited through targeted social media advertisements and through recruitment surveys, and were able to book the participants and host them, as mentioned, on Zoom. We had a total of 19 participants, and of that, 15 of them identified as having multiple children, and the overwhelming majority of them had never used Maya before. But interestingly, whenever interacting with Maya and seeing uh, her functionality, they identified that uh, nutrition information was something that they wanted to seek in breastfeeding, formula feeding, and first feeding. The stars that you see uh, here are what the WIC participants identified as top priorities of information that they would want to seek on Maya. So uh, with, Excuse me, let me take that. The, we, the participants identified, we identified motivations within the participants on how they would seek nutrition information. 
One of the motivators was the trustworthiness in the WIC program and the fact that they would be able to gain the information that they were seeking, um, and they'd be able to save time while doing that, so not having to vet other sources. Now, um, <clears throat> they also like anticipated that the information that Maya provided would give summaries and be able to be more concise information, and that they perceived it as faster than um, some standard practices such as calling a hotline or um, going into to a WIC building. Uh, an additional motivation that participants identified were stressful factors. So that could include being a first-time mom and not knowing how to handle a situation such as, um, such as having a colicky baby or having uh, pain while breastfeeding and trying to troubleshoot those issues. Uh, participants also identified that they would seek updates in information. Uh, the updates could include benefit changes that they may have experienced, uh, changes in COVID procedures and what to anticipate when meeting, uh, meeting in person. And also there was an ongoing formula crisis at the time of the study, so wanting to get information about the formula crisis and WIC's responses to that. It was also identified that participants would like for Maya to be able to navigate the website, to be able to get them to information quicker, to be able to collect um, videos, and, or excuse me, correct myself, to be able to connect to videos, whether that be through hyperlinks or um, actually watching the video in the chatbot itself. Um, it was also viewed to uh, be able to help navigate their benefits potentially through customized interactions by the chatbot being able to know their uh, current packages and their child's age and making recommendations off of that, which would include what type of online education classes to, to take. Also recommending recipes was brought up. So um, additionally, participants discussed opportunities that they saw within Maya to be while seeking this nutrition information. These opportunities included being able to connect to representatives after, generally after they had already tried to seek the information themselves, but it also was um, uh, discussed as they would like to be able to have the access through Maya to get other WIC client stories, especially in times of troubleshooting such as breastfeeding issues or having a colicky baby. Uh, an additional opportunity that uh, participants I identified was the um, anticipation of uh, poten potentially promoting different behaviors, so increasing fruit and vegetable intake or um, being able to utilize more of their package because a recipe recommendation came through that uh, included their, their specific package. Um, also, they had discussed uh, potentially uh, being able to retain more, uh, be able to stay within the WIC program and through retention. Additionally, participants identified that uh, Maya should be available across other platforms, which included the Texas WIC app. And these findings are consistent with literature that we have seen. Um, interestingly, the, they, uh, there is a seeking of concise information through a chatbot or through existing technologies. And um, 
being able to seek social support. It has been supportive and also dis discussed as non-significant. So uh, th it is a uh, still an area that is to be explored. So with that, the implications of this information is that public health uh, public health entity, entities could use a chatbot to be able to communicate updates, to be able to provide equitable access to information, and um, it might even be, for some clients, a preferred source of access. So thank you all for your time. Thank you, Kelsey. And I will now invite um, Sally Moore from University of Leeds uh, to the microphone to share her research on the feasibility of a nutrition label education intervention with computer gamification to promote learning with year 10 students. Let's see if I can. Alex, do you have suggestions? Do you have mouse access or is it all here? Okay. <laughs> Technology, we love it. That's why we're all here. Perfect. Thank you. Awesome. I'll know how to do it. Thank you. Hello, everybody. My name is Sally Moore. I'm from the University of Leeds in Yorkshire in the UK. I'm a nutritionist and I'm a dietitian, and I lecture in nutrition um, on the nutrition program. So what brings me here today is to describe the uh, feasibility study um, uh, that featured uh, nutrition label education and gamification. And I really want to start by acknowledging that this is the work of myself and two graduate students at the University of Leeds, Julia and Sophie, who were involved in this work that took place in January this year. I also want to acknowledge um, the Fit Talent Games, who are the software developers behind the, the game. So just to contextualize why we are all here really um, is the problem of obesity levels and poor diets in the UK. Um, and that includes intakes of salt and saturated fat and sugars that are in excess of government recommendations in the UK. Um, and the nutrition label, and here I've shown a multiple traffic light front of pack nutrition label that we use in the UK is a policy tool intended to help consumers make healthier choices and tackle obesity. So I've used my words carefully, it's a policy tool and it's not mandatory in the UK, but many products display it. And it shows on the label here, if you can see in the red, amber, green, the high, medium and low levels of those public health nutrients of concern, fat, uh, saturated fat, sugars and salt. Um, and my own research, my PhD, as well as others, have shown that if we educate on how to use nutrition labels, people often report higher levels of understanding and intended use of that information, which is hopefully good news for public health. 
but also if we introduce things like games and computer games in, in other nutrition education interventions, then that will help people acquire knowledge and skills and behaviours that will also help them eat a healthier diet. So I'm combining this in the project that I'm introducing to you today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the games development, and this stretches back to 2019. I'm going to talk to you about my favourite part of January this year, which was taking part in the feasibility study at a school in Yorkshire. And then I'll show you a few findings as well. So this is how I first met the game that was then called Fit Food. And it was during a use of technology um, uh, via LinkedIn when the game software developers somehow find, found me and said, would you like to work with us? Um, and they introduced to me this game. Now, if anybody's played Top Trumps with children um, or families, um, this was a virtual version of it where you challenge um, your opponent to um, a duel with cards. So the contest, if you like, is on the top right. This is least sugar per 100 gram. The arrangement or the hand of cards that you're playing is in the middle and the various food products are listed. And on the right hand side, that was what your card, um, the information and the nutritional content of the product um, on your card showed. So you were able to virtually play the game. So Fit Food um, was the focus at that time of a knowledge transfer partnership funded by the ESRC. And it aimed to bring together um, myself and um, people who were interested in gamification and pedagogy, um, as well as nutrition health organisations. So we worked together with the company who were based in Germany. They were called Fit Talent, as I've mentioned. And we uh, collaborated to optimise the game um, as it was then. My role in it was to align it with public health messaging on um, healthy diets and nutrition labelling. So thinking about traffic lights. And we've got here Arthur Lau and Blaine Parkinson, photographs on number two. And they worked to increase the pedagogic learning power, which was a really great learning for me as well. And we collected intelligence and worked with organisations in the UK, such as NHS Dietitians and the Change for Life public health campaign, as well as a youth organisation called Bite Back 2030. Um, to share the uh, project and align it to other apps. Some people might have heard of other apps in the UK like food swaps, um, sugar swaps, etc. apps on the mobile phone. So this is um, a contribution in terms of assessing the game, fit, uh, fit food as it was then, in terms of design concepts and player concepts and, and how serious games, um, as we call them, are um, assessed. Um, and I won't dwell on this, just to say that you know, we address a problem at the bottom of the pyramid and work up towards delivering reward and feedback and player competition to enhance learning. So fit food, as it was then, evolved into food decisions. And everybody in this room can access food decisions on their mobile phone. It's freely available to play. Um, and the concept is of it is that you can, without judgment, experience using nutrition labels in a variety of food environments. And so food environments are shown with the three images at the top. It's... Um, uh, for example, a cafe, a restaurant, a supermarket, your home fridge, etc., etc. Um, and players have got a choice of competing with each other, 
as a nutritionist or educator, you can set a group um, challenge as part of an educational intervention, and you can also um, multiplay with each other in the room. Please don't do that now. <laughs> um, the other option that players have is to choose what type of nutrition label you would like. So if you're from the UK, you could maybe choose the multiple traffic lights on the right, and that's accompanied by the mandatory back of pack information. In the middle, we've got um, what is popular in Europe, which is the Nutri-Score system. And on the right, um, this is um, the Nutrition Facts panel is used uh, here. So we use this game as part of the intervention. And the intervention, we work very closely with a school in Yorkshire. So um, I work in Leeds, and this school is about 50 miles away in Doncaster. And both those cities, just to um, contextualize, are about 200 miles north of London. Okay. Um, so the school teacher, who was a food technology head of department and ourselves worked to uh, flesh out the intervention. And the broad aim was to touch with parts of the curriculum that featured healthier food choices and labelling um, and objectively introduce healthier and sustainable eating. And we have a eat well guide version of my plate um, in the UK for that. And you can see that was delivered with slides. We also did some hands-on games um, to use nutrition labels. And on the right-hand side, that is Sophie and Julia showing the, the manual game. Um, and then we allowed free play on the food decisions game after introducing it. Um, and as a really embarrassing extra, this was um, uh, Julia. Um, I don't find it embarrassing, she did. But she was doing a, um, a voiceover, a bit of a Preston-like narration on Here's the Game. And she uh, used that to introduce it to the, um, the year 10 14-year-old students as part of this intervention. Um, so the intervention recruited with consent from parents and um, students themselves, all of year 10, so there's about 30 students who gave consent um, in our study design, which was a single group pre-post uh, repeated measures design. We collected questionnaire data online, we used the laptops, and we also collated verbal capture. So we went around the room and spoke to students themselves. Um, and the two outcome measures that we're most interested in today was the knowledge and confidence and use of nutrition labels to make healthier choices. And we used some scales um, from, adapted from others' work. And we were also interested in the perceived learning and enjoyment of the game in the classroom. And just to give you an idea of how we try to assess knowledge, we used a little bit of a multiple choice um, quiz where we gave two nutrition labels, traffic lights, and we asked students which is the healthiest, which has got less sugar, etc. Um, so when we collated the questionnaire data, we found 20 students had um, pressed submit, and we were able to use data from those questionnaires, half of which were female, about um, most, all of them were aged 14 to 15 years old, that's year 10 in the UK, and 95% um, were of white British ethnicity. Most of them said they played games at least once a week, computer games, with a various um, frequencies. Um, and in terms of was it fun, and um, we asked them this with the emoji scale adapted from others' work, and you can see here in the uh, white and grey that most people agreed with these statements. I want to play the game again. I want to learn more about food. It helps me remember things, etc. 
Some aspects included here touch on students' understanding of sustainability, and by that I mean environmental sustainability concepts of healthy eating as well, which is another part of the um, study not touched on today. Um, so perceptions of the game that we collated verbally as well, I've tried to be um, uh, uh, creative here and show those quotations. Um, I was surprised that students enjoyed the game and they rated it better than PowerPoint, for example, for learning in the classroom. Um, they thought it was cool and quite real world and some of them talked about rendering and the sophisticated um, gameplay um, in comparison to other games um, like um, more popular Minecraft and Roblox games. I really enjoyed talking to the students about that. Levels of confidence on the left and um, to the second left increased pre post in terms of choosing healthy foods and levels of perceived understanding also increased pre post um, using nutrition labels um, unfortunately knowledge um, didn't increase pre post pre post pre post for each of the three knowledge questions um, and in terms of reported use of nutrition labels, um, you can see here in terms of pre and post, the levels of sometimes or always in terms of um, how often do you read labels, and on the bottom, how often are you influenced by nutrition labels when you're purchasing foods, um, increased um, from pre to post. Um, and in conversations with our collaborative research group, one of the take-homes or interpretations of this is, are people able to perceive themselves as label readers, um, which is an interesting um, critique. Um, my other take on this is it's a social desirability to say that you intend to use labels. So there's two ways to view it. So this was a feasibility study, and what was key to making this work was our work from university with the school in Doncaster and the collaboration with the teachers, um, Miss Katie Pine, who's shown um, to in the middle on the right here. Um, also really critical was the IT um, person, who was Harry Quatermain, and he's shown on the right-hand side. And a massive acknowledgement for him, getting the game onto the laptops was a big deal. Um, and we attracted press attention for this and... Um, um, uh, media attention. So the conclusions today um, are that it is feasible to conduct this working together with the secondary school. It's fun and enjoyable as reported by these young people, the learners, but further development, particularly the knowledge aspect, is warranted um, with potential to impact. I would like to thank all these people from the game developers, Blaine, Blagavesta, and Arthur, and particularly Sophie and Julia, um, whose project uh, this encompassed, and they won a university award for their work here. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Sally, and I'd like to invite um, Dr. Janelle Robinson from Florida A&M to present her work, which I think I'll be able to find. I've learned how to do this. Good afternoon. 
I am Janelle Robinson from, from Florida Agricultural and Mechanical University. The title of my oral abstract is Increasing Engagement in a Nutrition Course Through Development of a Student-Led Documentary about Dieting and Body Image. So uh, in the spring of 2019, I taught um, an intro to nutrition class. We have approximately 60 to 65 students in that class. We had 64 students in that class. My objective is always to increase student engagement to make sure whatever I'm doing is culturally relevant, um, that it's usually media focused, and that it is catering to different types of learners. And so what we decided to do was to develop a documentary. So the class uh, voted on a nutrition topic that they thought was relevant, um, that could reach people in their uh, peer of peer influence, um, and so they decided on dieting and body image, um, and then we voted on a topic and the or a title for the documentary, and the title was "Getting Bodied the Natural Way in a World of Butt Shots, Breast Implants, and Tummy Tucks." Um, and so, uh, for National Nutrition Month, which was March, our goal was to do a documentary screening in front of the whole campus and community. So for about a month and a half or so, we worked on this documentary. And so we came up with a script, and then um, students chose groups that they wanted to be a part of for this thing to work. So we had painters, and you see one picture of someone uh, painted or colored. Um, so we had those who had to paint nutrition, uh, body image, dieting, um, artwork. We had educational content developers that went through books and went online and found content on body image and dieting that was approved um, and that was reputable. Um, we had interviewers who went and asked questions about dieting and body image to faculty and staff and students and those in the community. Um, and then videotape those interviews. We had music specialists to provide background music throughout the documentary. We had poets who had to develop poems that were um, about dieting and body image. We had readers to read the statistics. Uh, we had a videotaping and editing crew who videotaped a lot of our class sessions where we discussed it. Um, and videotape discussions among peers. And then we had a script storyboard team who went through everything after it was done and watched the documentary over and over again um, as I and others edited the documentary. So this was the flyer in order to get people to come to the screening. We had about 100 that showed up to the documentary screen, which was really, really good for us. Um, and so I have some snippets to show you. The documentary is about 30 minutes long, and so I did upload the link so that you can see the full thing, but I wanted to show just a few snippets. I don't know anyone personally, but in um, in music, a lot of art, a lot of female artists do get like butt shots and stuff, and it doesn't look good. It looks kind of deformed, and I heard it like falls off after a while. Depending on what you can afford, it looks very different. So, for people who are willing to like shell out the money for a professional thousands of dollars worth of work, then of course you'll have a better end product that looks more natural and more desirable. But if you don't really have the funds to afford it, you're gonna be looking 
not so great because a lot of it is not like you know surgical grade equipment or surgical grade um, materials and there's been a lot of like people call botching incidents so I haven't seen people who spent under like five thousand kind of end up looking good so okay cool. um, oh my god mama got her butt done no she just took the, um, the tummy fat and put it in her butt okay okay So I'm just trying to show snippets of different pieces that different groups brought. Um, so a lot of times they just took quotes from um, articles that talked about uh, the influence of social media on body image and dieting, especially among teens as well as college students. Um, I feel like a lot of it deals with societal pressure and, you know, the ideal body type changes from century to decade to year to year. You can even see different fluctuations on the ideal standard of beauty and I feel like, you know, it's, it's definitely due to society and a lot of it is your own personal confidence in what makes you happy. So if you're someone who needs to have like the full extent of society telling you you're beautiful, then of course you're gonna gravitate towards cosmetic procedures. So, okay, yeah. thank you, Aaliyah. want that Beyonce body, that hottie. Give me her thickness. Give me a menage booty with Megan Good's tummy and some 3060 breast to rest in front of me. Enhance me. Augment me. Whatever you have to do to change me, to make me IG ready. Snap, chat, steady. The camera, filter, alter, crop, lighten, widen the view. And when the perfect camera picks are few, credit can give me butt shots, dots on my tummy for the incision, revisions to the breast to boost and lift, shift the nose, plump the lips, pull the eyes, and herein lies the new me, the perfect me with the perfect body. Nothing, because I love my body. <laughs> Amen, period. <laughs> I get my breasts done. I don't have any, as you can see. Uh, why would you? Because I don't have it. The two things that I would change is like my nose and my boots. My titties ain't got no titties, so I ain't got some bigger titties. We use the word breast. I'm sorry. Breast. <laughs> my breast is this. I'm bigger. <laughs> and my nose, I just don't like the shape of my nose. It made my stomach more hard. You know, it's kind of. A little round, I'll probably make my abs come out a little bit more. That's really it. Like I, like I would it. definitely change. I mean, I wouldn't say definitely. I'm very comfortable in my skin, but 
so nothing? I don't think I would change anything by myself. Okay, so what would you change? I would definitely get taller. I don't think I would change anything. I mean, I've... Okay, so those are a few examples of snippets. Like I said, it's about 30 minutes long, so I just tried to highlight some, some of my favorite parts. Okay, so evaluation results. So this was not an attempt to uh, necessarily change behavior. Again, this is engagement. So my goal was to get uh, the class engaged in nutrition. And so uh, out of the 64 students, so when they were in groups, they had group leaders who had to report back participation. Um, and so 62 out of 64 actually participated in the project. Um, they also were graded on this project as well based on their participation. So 97% participation rate. Uh, the biggest thing for me is I got a lot of qualitative data. So I got a lot of feedback from the students on participating in this. Um, and so I just highlighted a few here. Um, learn more aspects relating to the physical changes in the body. Uh, views on how the body is portrayed through the media has changed. Learn the statistics of having cosmetic surgery, like the pros and cons. So they were able to uh, utilize uh, learning and then mass communicate that learning. So just by um, looking up information to paint the pictures, just by looking up information to create the poems, um, just by looking up statistics, they're learning things, and then they are creating something to mass communicate it to their peers. And so that alone um, helped change some of the things that they were thinking about body image and dieting. So in conclusion, um, I do believe that media-focused nutrition projects, they're going to provide cultural relevance to, relevance to college students, engage them in non-traditional learning experiences, um, I did a TEDx talk where I highlighted the documentary and what was done specifically because in nutrition, um, I'm at an HBCU and a, a majority of what we see in books and documentaries are white faces. They are not black faces. They are not black voices. And so this gave them an opportunity to hear black voices and to see black voices and to be part of this, this process. And so me helping them to create something that was culturally relevant for them uh, was really exciting for me and really exciting for them. Uh, while student learning was not directly measured, engagement often enhances learning experiences and it can potentially advance the field of nutrition through their ability to mass communicate their ideals from these experiences. These students told me they shared uh, the documentary, they shared the, the, uh, the flyer for the upcoming screening to social media, they shared it in group chats, they shared it with family and friends. It sparked additional discussion on uh, dieting and body images specifically within the black community. And so I thought it was a really, really good way again to engage students um, specifically at this university um, with something where I don't feel like they're often represented within the media. So this is a picture of the class and then the YouTube link is, be is below as well. It is uploaded for your convenience. Thank you. Thank you, Janelle. And um, for our fourth speaker, I'd like to um, invite Dr. Grace Lee from Texas A&M to share with us her research on uh, theory-informed e-health intervention through the Healthy Online Parental Education Study. Let's see. 
Absolutely. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Grace, and I'm very excited to be here and also share a study that was completed recently by our research team. So just a little bit of background, um, as many guys you know, know in this room, obesity has reached epidemic levels in the US. When we look at the data from CDC, 20% um, of children aged from five to 19 are obese. So these translated one in every five children. And also when we look at different age um, groups in 2017 and 18, Obesity prevalence increases with age, from preschoolers to school-age children to adolescents. So this study focused on health promotion to prevent obesity during early childhood. Obesity rates are also higher for African-American children, Hispanic children, also Native American children, compared to Asian and Caucasian children. And also, this is the same for children who are coming from lower-income household backgrounds. So in households making below the federal poverty level, obesity rates are around 20%, which is much higher than 8% for you know, children making above the federal poverty level. Um, similarly, children whose parents with high school education or less are more likely to develop obesity or overweight than their counterparts. So these data um, inform us to who to target for our intervention study. We use obesity contextual model framework um, informed by ecological system theory to identify what are the modifiable factors and also mediating factors for, uh, of child obesity. So here in the core, we have three behavior patterns such as dietary intake, physical activity, and center behavior, which can place a child at risk of obesity. So this study focused on these three patterns um, as risk factors. Of course, biological factors such as gender, age, and also different family history can also influence the child development. And these child risk factors can then shape by you know, parenting styles and family characteristics. For example, um, different parenting feeding practices, parental nutritional knowledge, parent-owned dietary intake, physical activity patterns, and also family TV viewing. And all these characteristics are also influenced by you know, our community and society that individuals live. But for this study, um, we focus on parental influences on child behavior outcomes. So this was a pilot randomized controlled trial study, and um, the purpose was to assess the effectiveness, acceptability, and adherence of a theory-based intervention called HOPE in low-income families with toddlers aged between one and three. So we recruited um, such a participants in Lubbock. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar, it is in West Texas, in the same place of Texas. And the city had a pretty high food insecurity rate um, at about 16%. This is higher than the national level at you know, 10%. And even 20% of children food are food insecure in Lubbock. And we had five different study recruitment sites, um, including two early head start programs, also, for those who are not familiar, um, these child care centers are, they cater towards low-income families with young children. So that's why we work with them, teachers and staff, to recruit people and develop the intervention. 
So our curriculum had eight sessions at one week intervals based on three evidence-based healthy eating, uh, healthy habits, like I mentioned, dietary intake, physical activity, and center, activity, uh, center behavior. Um, so how it worked was um, participants receive weekly educational videos with um, weekly activities. For example, activity, um, they set SMART goals. They also wrote digital journals. They also completed bi-weekly online tutorials using fresh fruit and vegetables. So for example, uh, we had to develop our own developed uh, website. Through this website, they receive weekly education videos. So around Halloween week, um, parents completed the video talking about the importance of vegetables for toddlers. And after this video, they also completed online cooking tutorials using fresh fruit and vegetables, and we provided all these ingredients. This was easy and affordable recipe to make. We also provide instructions on age-appropriate task to involve children in the kitchen. So moving on to results, we had a total of 73 parents with toddlers, and they were randomly assigned to either intervention group or a control group. Um, on a, the average age of children were 26 months, and more than half of them were female. And as you guys can see, um, our children came from diverse backgrounds, about 37% were biracial, followed by Hispanic. We also measure anthropometric data at baseline, and most of them were healthy weight. And moving on to household information, about 30% of parents completed high school education. Um, also, majority of them were single parents and also had a low income level. So the average yearly income level was, income was about $26 uh, per year. And like I mentioned, we focus on three different behavior patterns such as dietary intake, uh, physical activity, and center behavior. So in this study, children in the both study groups had less than one cup of fruit and vegetable intake at baseline. And while the control group did not change over eight weeks, intervention group children had significant increases in fruit and vegetable intake at post-intervention. And also, when we look at their physical activity levels, um, they had quite adequate amounts of physical activity level engaged at baseline. Um, we saw significant increases in these levels only within the intervention group children. And for sedentary activity, we also measure screen time. Um, as you guys can see the number in the table, um, they had an exceeded amount of sedentary uh, activity and screen time at baseline. And we all saw, we saw the significant decreases in such activities within the intervention group. We also measure changes in parental psychosocial attributes, um, such as nutritional knowledge, attitude to a healthy lifestyle, self-efficacy around feeding, and comprehensive feeding practices. Um, while we did not see any changes in nutrition knowledge levels among parents, we saw significant improvements in their attitudes self-efficacy and comprehensive feeding practices. And these changes in self-efficacy and comprehensive feeding practices remain significant when compared to the control group. We also monitored um, how much people watch the videos entirely, referred as average percentage view. Um, the average percentage view was 80%, and according to the YouTube analytics, um, the videos were performing well and effective. We also measured um, the view count to track engagement. 
So a total of 13 videos yielded more than 500 view counts. So each video was viewed um, 40 times on average. And since this was a pilot study, we also conducted exit interview with intervention group parents. Um, we asked their opinions more in detail, and they said watching videos was really helpful, especially learning about child nutrition using online modality was extremely helpful um, in terms of flexibility and convenience. And many parents commented that they were able to rewatch it and study while the child went to sleep to internalize the knowledge. Also, the cooking tutorials and receiving these healthy foods, um, these were the most liked element by parents. It seemed that providing these recipes and healthy foods expand their cooking ideas and also reinforce their motivation for behavior changes. Um, since this was a pilot study, we plan to conduct a full testing with a follow-up assessment in the near future. But for more information, I include my contact information here. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Grace. And I'd like to invite our um, four presenters to come up. And those of you who have questions, there's a microphone here in the center aisle. Here, somebody come over. Oh, I'll lean over. Is this one on two? Can we pass this one along first? Yeah. All right. Don't be shy. All right, then I'll start out with a question. I've got so many questions. Those of you who know me, I'm sure are unsurprised. Um, one of the things that we often see with technology and e-interventions um, is you spend a lot of resources and time developing a technology and then it's sometimes difficult to get people to actually go open that technology. So I'd love to hear from each of you um, strategies that you, and this is sort of a scalability question, obviously when you're in a setting where um, you're, you're there opening it for people, that's one thing, but what are your ideas about how to push uh, users to these high-quality evidence-based um, technologies. Uh, um, so I'll just pass the mic along. Uh, I getting them involved in the development at the beginning. Um, this was actually something that I didn't speak about in our presentation. However, something that we found was that part, uh, participants uh, really liked Maya and the chatbot. However, I mentioned that they hadn't interacted with her before. And one of the things that several participants had said was that they wished that she would actually advertise herself so that people were able to understand that she was more than just something to go connect to somebody. So being able to communicate what it is and being able to promote itself uh, can also encourage use. Um, thanks. I, uh, for me, it was about um, freely available app software and also within our study with the Nutrition Label Education game, the ability to get the game on mobile phones, which was what many of the participants wanted. They wanted to hang around outside the school gates and play this game, which is surprising. Um, but that was another um, access issue for them, is that device-specific mm -hmm. um, request. 
We actually um, built our strategies based on evidence from a systematic review, and some of the strategies were, you know, sending reminder text messages, simple as you know it sounds, and also interactions um, between the participants. They want to have a community. Also, they want to have interaction with the investigator too. So having multiple avenues to form that community, um, sense of community. Hi, my name is Belen. I work for the Food Bank in Raleigh. Um, and what I was thinking about when you all pre were presenting was something um, recent that came up with the National Eating Disorder Association, the chat bot that they had put in. I don't know if you all have any comments on that chat bot or like, I think it could be applied to all sorts of e-learning technology, but I think there was a lot of um, people who had some harmful interactions with that one. Um, so I don't know if you have comments, because there's, there seem to be a lot of benefits with the e-learning, but also just wondering about the other side. Are you familiar with uh, I am familiar, but um, I don't know. Do you want to get, you might be more well-versed in giving a little background for anyone that may not, or just, okay. All right, so, um, okay, trying to, so I think there's a bit of a difference between the eating disorder chatbot and the Maya WIC chatbot. So Maya, as I mentioned earlier, is a software-based chatbot as opposed to an artificial intelligence chatbot. So this one is pre-programmed and pre-screened by the WIC program to be able to reply those answers. And also, our studies have shown, or research has shown that it is more, it's more effective to be complementary as opposed to just a primary source of gaining nutrition information. So it's not a tool to replace anybody uh, as opposed to uh, what what happened with the eating. They just shut their, uh, so the eating disorder chatbot had just shut down their hotline and completely moved it to an artificial intelligence chatbot. And Maya does not do that. And, <laughs> and um, I would promote something called a user-centered design, which gains information from participants uh, so that you're able to be able to meet the needs of your demographic. Fantastic. Are there other questions from the audience? I am. I really enjoyed all of the presentations a lot. I, I wanted to ask just a little bit about resources um, necessary to do some of these things, specifically the video, um, which was so incredibly interesting. Um, did, did you have additional resources available to your class to do that? Did you have a budget? Were the students able to come up with that? And um, I, I know like what was freely accessible with the, the label, um, uh, game also, but it seems just kind of like if we we always think if we have all the resources in the world, but what resources did you have? And if you had more, what would you want? Maybe we were magicians. We had nothing, and we made something out of nothing. <laughs> no, we we really didn't. No, they videotaped everything with their iPhones. They sent the videos to me in what MP4, and I uploaded the videos. 
Um, there was a software, Wondershare, Wonder something, some type of software that was used to pull them all together and to, to put everything together. But other than that, um, just, yeah, it was just their phones that were used, so. Thank you. Yeah, that, it was a clever collaboration, really, with um, a company who are software developers who also wanted to um, branch out into training and upskilling people via learning and gamification. So there was a commercial kind of push and pull on that, as well as an academic research um, input. So yeah, that was a the meeting of resources there, and of course we got funding to do it as well. But the the ambition, and, will, and it will always be the ambition, is to make the game freely available. It will never be behind a paywall. Yeah. For resources, um, I will be honest. We don't. We didn't have much resources because you know we had to use the funding that we had. Um, we developed everything from scratch, but if we could have resources. Um, I think I would like to maybe collaborate with the IT people in the future. And also, if more resources, we would you know, maybe have access to mobile phones and so on so that we can distribute among participants in case they don't have mobile phone to watch the videos. Um, and, and from the chatbot standpoint in terms of resources, so, um, well, and more specifically WIC. WIC, with the fact that it is moving towards modernization and promoting tech, uh, technology innovations, there is a lot of grant money out there. Uh, our, my project was funded by the uh, USDA Special Innovations Grant. Um, but there's also the American Rescue Plan that has over $390 million allocated to be used before 2024. So uh, there are resources out there to be able to modernize with. Last chance. All right, well with that, I'd like to thank our fantastic speakers. Congratulations on your um, wonderful, really impressive research programs, and best of luck. Thank you all for joining us. Enjoy the rest of the conference.